Well, maybe you can bond your complexing agent to a zinc ion, but as soon as it hits a fertilizer, it releases it. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here to Better Way to Farm, where we work every day to improve yields and increase profits. Thank you for tuning in today. It's exciting to get to share with you today. We're going to go back and talk a little bit about micronutrients and then specifically how it is that we can protect those micronutrients that we apply. Applying them doesn't do any good if we don't end up with them going into the plant. And whether they be in the root zone or applied in a foliar feed, they have to get into the plant in order to help us there. Now, that being said, I believe there's great reason to have a well-balanced plant and leave a well-balanced residue. Last week, I spent some time talking about micronutrients and 50 plus years ago, Dr. Albrecht at Missouri said that the soil biology does not do well in the absence of micronutrients. I've been saying for some time, I had not seen that study. I hadn't seen that writing of his. And for about a year now, I am, I am convinced that in the next 10 years, there will be a lot of data coming out that says, hey, micronutrients are important for corn. You need zinc and manganese and copper and boron and all those things. But they're also going to continue to find out other things that those micronutrients do. For instance, we know boron feeds the mycorrhizae fungi. The mycorrhizae fungi make phosphorus more available to the plant. Having adequate boron actually helps us with the uptake of phosphorus. And so as we look at these things, I think the case is well established that we need to be applying them. And when we apply them and they get into the plant and they do what we intend for them to do, and then we leave a lot behind in the residue, and that recycles back into the soil, and we are feeding those soil bugs that we need to feed. And again, I believe that there's going to be tons of data that come out that support this, that show us you know, what it is that we need to be doing. But let's come to the starting point. Our assumption here is, is that we agree that we've been farming ground for 100 years or 150 years or 200 years, and we have removed all kinds of nutrients. And yet all we apply is NPK, NPK. Some people are way out there on the edge, and they're saying, hey, you might want to put on a little sulfur. We've known that for 20 years. But the fact of the matter is, is these guys are looking at just trying to do it all through NPK. We're missing the boat. And the fact is we want to make sure we're putting on everything that that crop needs. And in the process of feeding the crop, we're going to feed the soil with residue, with really healthy residue. But our assumption for today, our starting point is we need micronutrients. Okay, we're going to agree on that. Then when we decide that we're going to need micronutrients, we decide how it is that we're going to apply those. Now, there's the case to be made for applying something like a zinc sulfate or a manganese sulfate. And that will feed the soil. We're not denying that. That is a true statement. However, when we apply four pounds of a zinc sulfate, say, we're putting a granule in like one square four-foot area, one granule. It's a slow way to feed the soil, and it's a really slow way to feed the plant. And so I don't think that dry broadcast is probably the way to go after these micronutrients and these secondary elements that we want to go with. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think the jury's out. I believe that if you use the fertilizer handbook, every single nutrient is better if it is banded, bar none, no matter what form you're using, whether it be dry or liquid, high quality, low quality, it's always better to band it and then figure out how to get at the appropriate distance from the root zone. 
Obviously, high-quality products can go in the root zone. Lesser quality products got to be moved farther away. The lesser the quality, the farther away they've got to get. But banding is always better. So we've decided now that we're not going to do a dry broadcast and we're not even going to use a dry granular product. We're going to move into the liquids. And there's a lot of reasons to move into liquids. Number one, ease of handling. They're tremendously easy to handle. And if you're using the right starter fertilizer that is friendly to the seed zone, then you know and our, our starter fertilizer will actually increase your plant stand. If you're in 30-inch rows, you can go up to six gallon to the acre. And I have done thousands, literally thousands of stand counts. And I know where we use our 31818, the stand is better than where we don't have the pump running and we put nothing down. Why? Because it's high quality and it's an energy source. Now, that being said, we don't want to go across that six gallon because then it doesn't pan out as well as we would like. But when we're using this 31818 and then we decide or whatever starter you might be wanting to take a look at and you decide, okay, I'm going to put micronutrients in with my starter fertilizer. And then there's a whole bunch of things that come up from that. Okay, so we're going to throw in some zinc. The question becomes, how do we put in a zinc in there that gets into the plant? And what really prompted this was I'm starting to see a lot of different opinions out here, people talking about this chelating agent and that chelating agent. Well, what's a chelate? Let's start with that. Chelate is a Greek word. It means claw. And from our standpoint, what we do is we take our chelating agent and we it is a claw and we just surround a zinc ion with it and grab onto it. And then once that gets into the plant, the chelator breaks off and the zinc goes in and goes where it needs to into the plant. However, applying zinc without a chelating agent, it almost instantaneously wants to tie up with phosphorus. So it ties up your phosphorus and it ties up your zinc and it doesn't work. And all of the secondaries are like that. They don't exist by themselves. They're always tied up with something else. And so we have to protect them in order to put them in there. Now, I've seen people talking about, I'm, I'm getting quite a bit of press here that's looking at it, and they're talking about complexing the micronutrients. Complexing is a process where they are tying those micronutrients up to something else. But as I look at the complexing agents that are out there, I got to go back. This is kind of deep, guys. You'll have to bear with me on these terms. But there's a Greek word called monodentate, and there's another Greek word called polydentate. Dentate means tooth. So a monodentate has one tooth. A polydentate has multiple teeth. And so if our chelating agent is a complexer, typically that is a one-tooth deal. So you put one tooth in, and that's all you've got a hold of it. But if you're using a polydentate like EDTA, now you've got a whole bunch of teeth that are grabbing on to that zinc and keeping a hold of it. I've also read multiple times they talk about one of the advantages of a monodentate is that actually that tooth will go out and it will grab two different zinc ions and try to hang on to both of them. Now, you tell me which one is stronger, one tooth holding two ions or multiple teeth holding one ion? Because I believe strongly that the one tooth holding two ions has to be weaker than the multiple teeth hanging on to one ion. As we start looking at these terms, I know it's a lot, but the bottom line is, guys, we want to make sure that when we spend our money, we're getting to utilize what we pay for. And if we're not using the right key later, then we're not getting that. You know, I look at all of these different terms that are out here, and I just want to compare. I did, I've done some research here, and I wanted to talk about complexing agents versus chelators. 
A complexing agent is an ion or a molecule that will function in a group and bond with other metal ions. Versus a chelating agent, which is something that will bind to other metal ions with multiple coordination bonds to form stable, water-soluble complexes. That's one of the questions about your chelator. What is the stability constant? And I look at these stability constants, and you got to dig and you can find it, but we can find nothing with a greater stability constant than EDTA or HEDTA. And as we look at those, why is that important? Well, maybe you can bond your complexing agent to a zinc ion, but as soon as it hits a fertilizer, it releases. As soon as it hits the water, it releases. Especially when it hits a chemical, say like glyphosate, it releases. And now you've got an unprotected zinc out there. And all of a sudden, what we thought we had, we don't have. Binding sites. A complexing agent will have single binding sites, typically. A chelating agent has multiple binding sites, and therefore, it holds on better. A chelating agent will bind with a metal ion at least two atoms, will bind it with at least two atoms, so it takes two of the chelators and locks onto one zinc. A chelating agent is always an organic molecule. I think there's some value in that. A complexing agent, it may be an ion, it may be a molecule, it may be a whole functional group of things, but a chelating agent is always an organic molecule, which I find great value in. A complexing agent may be something that is a bridge. It forms a bridge between, like, say, two zinc ions. So, again, it's hanging on to two with that one tooth stuck through both of them. Whereas a chelating agent surrounds whatever it is that it's trying to chelate and protects it. As we start looking at this, and again, your complexing agents are typically monodentates, and your chelating agents are never a monodentate. They're always a multi-toothed creature. I've talked about EDTA. I want to talk a little bit about what that is. It's a very long word, and the, the word that the EDTA is an acronym for is ethylene diamine triacetic acid. And then HEDTA is hydroxy ethylene, adiamine, triacetic acid. And those are the two strongest chelators that we have ever been able to find. And when we start looking at these, all of a sudden, we can see why it is that they hang on better and why they do a better job of, of chelating and protecting those micronutrients. It also has to do with, and I'm, chemistry is not a strong point. I'm not going to sit here and say that it is, but I'm working at it and I'm studying it and I'm realizing it was far more important than I thought when I was a junior in high school or a sophomore in college. And the fact of the matter is it has to do with how carboxylic groups are involved. And the EDTA has three and the HEDTA has four. And I can see how it is that they would surround that zinc ion, that manganese ion, that copper ion and do a better job of chelating it just because of the fact that they've got these multiple groups. It's a long molecule that can wrap around and do the chelating for us. Guys, we believe strongly in the power of micros and secondaries, and we have since the day I started. 31 years ago was would have been our first growing season. We started in the 1993, actually was the first growing season that we worked, and here we are starting in 2023. Man, it went fast. But the fact of the matter is we were testing then, doing soil tests for it, doing tissue tests for the micros, looking to see what we could get. We had the correlations down already. We had the fact is that, number one, your micronutrient test has to be solid, rock solid. The extraction method has to be good. That's why we use the lab that we use. 
because we know that what the correlation is between their levels and the recommendations that we make and the results that we get. And optimally, we're always doing this to get results. So as we do this, and we're trying to get those results, but we have to know how we can get them. I see people out here marketing micronutrients, and they've got one, two, three, five in a jug. And their science behind it is they come out and they say, hey, why don't you try some? Try some is not a scientific method. And I see people making mistakes. I mean, even with sulfur right now, I'm starting to see blanket recommendations on that secondary nutrient. And they're saying, hey, why don't you put on 20 pounds of the acre everywhere? General recommendations get general results. How about we test and put on exactly what we need, no more, no less? Zinc, we see guys, well, just use a quart to the acre everywhere. A quart of what? A quart of a zinc that's 9% but not chelated at all versus a pint of a zinc that's 100% chelated. And guys, I look at these zinc jugs and sometimes when someone says, well, this guy's got a zinc and it's, you know, a couple bucks a gallon cheaper. Can you explain that? And I was like, yeah, what does it weigh per gallon? They kind of pause and tilt their head and go, what difference does it make? Well, here's the deal. Our zinc weighs 11.1 pounds per gallon. Almost all the other zinc that I see, I've never seen a zinc that weighed as heavy as ours. I see a lot of them that are coming in at 10.8 and you say, well, three tenths of a pound per gallon. That's not very much. You're correct. But the difference, that three-tenths of a pound, is the chelating agent. It's the EDTA that we put into that. And that three-tenths of a pound of EDTA is what covers up and protects that entire amount of zinc that's in that jug. It protects that entire amount of copper, that entire amount of manganese, that entire amount of iron, whatever it is that you're utilizing, it's there to make sure that it works. And while we're on the subject of chelates, if you're going to foliar feed... It is really important to make sure that the micros that you're foliar feeding are 100% chelated. Why? Because they go into the plant much better if they're chelated. It has to do with the electromagnetic charge and how it is that it pulls them in. And then it has to do with how they get translocated within that plant. And so whether we're going in the soil or we're going on the foliage, doesn't make any difference. We want chelated. We want 100% chelated. And when someone comes to you and they say, well, you know, and and they'll come and they'll say, well, his boron is complex. You're correct. It is. And there are different ways of doing complexing. We complex our boron because there's no way to chelate it successfully. However, our process of complexing is very different. We're using one particular thing that totally changes how strong that bond is. It's still not as good as chelation. I wish we could chelate our boron. Okay, make no mistake. But for now, with the science where it is, this is the best that we can do. And so our boron is complex. It is a different formulation than anything I've ever seen. That's why it shows up in the tissue better than anything I've ever seen. And that's why it gives results better than anything else that I've ever seen. Outside of the boron, everything else we have is chelated. And it's 100% chelation. That's what it takes to make this work for you. Anything less than that is not going to get you the results that you want. It's not going to get you the results that you deserve, and we want to make sure we're given those. Guys, if you'd like some more information on this, we spend quite a bit of time on our fundamentals of agronomy programs on it. Uh, we have one left coming up. If you'd like to get to that, reach out to us. If you'd just like to visit, you can give us a call at 641-919-1206. You can send us a text. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in, and as always, we really do hope you're having a better day. A better way to farm. Dot com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network.
Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.